Okay. All right. We're good. We're good. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, Scott. Hey, Derek. How's it going, buddy? It's it's going. How's it going with you, man? It's going all right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll delve into that. But uh, first off, I want to welcome everyone to the new and improved podcast, Sobriety, uh, Sobriety Mental Health for Men and Women and the men and women who love those men and women. Uh, We are rising from the ashes of the former podcast Club Soda Club. Uh, and Scott and I have decided to delve into uh, the world of sobriety from the specific point of view of two uh, white middle-aged men living their Which best suburban dad lives. That's the most underserved opinion on the internet. So welcome, everybody. It is, yes. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, men, white, white men, definitely underrepresented. Uh, although I have found that that, and maybe it's just, the circles I travel in, in the sobriety community, that, that may actually be true. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I have noticed that uh, there are not a lot of people that look like us in the sobriety community, Derek. So uh, that is a strange place to be for a middle-aged white suburban North American man. You know? Yeah. So if you do look like Scott and I, specifically bald, white, uh, middle-aged, yeah. and suburban, uh, welcome, welcome aboard to the podcast. Of course, this is not this is not just limited to men, but because it is going to be uh, our perspective, it is going to be probably decidedly male centric. Uh, I, I will say that much. We will have uh, a variety of guests, uh, both male and female, on. Um, I think a big part of of our mission and the goal of this podcast is something that Scott, uh, I noticed you have been. Uh, really promoting and, and passionate about lately. And that's just like kind of de-stigmatizing uh, mental health and conversations around mental health for men uh, in an effort to combat toxic masculinity and just um, the way men kind of uh, are architects of their own mental health demise a lot of the time by uh, refusing uh, to even discuss their emotions or, or discuss mental health. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your, your journey along those lines, buddy? Yeah, so uh, my sobriety, I've been sober for, we're both coming up on five years fairly quickly here. Yeah, I think we stopped next, almost like within a, within a, a month of each, of each other. other or something. Yeah. yeah, so... Um, Congrats, you know, by the way. Early, early congrats yeah, on that. Well, you know, I'll, I'll try not to forget when it comes around for you, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that I actually wrote um, a little post about toxic masculinity and, and how it sort of affects everything uh, around us, everything from uh, addiction to uh, sexism and racism and domestic abuse, uh, climate change denial, um, not believing in in any kind of science, uh, there, there's this whole culture of um, white male fragility that they just can't be wrong. Uh, and it seems like we're seeing that in America, particularly these days, based on who's running the show down there. Uh, the, the whole system around him is entirely based on that, uh, that preface. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been a pretty wild ride trying to uh, deconstruct how my life has been affected by that same toxic masculinity, uh, how it led me to uh, drink a whole lot more than I should and engage in uh, dangerous behaviors and all kinds of crazy stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting to talk about and I've been getting uh, a ton of feedback on it, mostly positive, some negative, but the negative stuff is the stuff that is actually really interesting because it's generally men around my age that, uh, that want to sort of rebel against what I have to say about, uh, toxic masculinity. So it's, that's interesting. Like, are they just straight up being like, you're, you're wrong. This is a yeah. myth. This doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. toxic masculinity the, denial. Yeah. The reason, the reason that they react that way is because it triggers something in them and they, they see it for the first time that yeah. all of these things are, are influenced in a major way by uh, toxic masculinity. So it, it's, it's uh, thankfully a small 
uh, percentage of the respondents I've had have reacted negatively, but I feel like that's also a reflection of um, the type of people that seek out that content. Uh, the people that have responded to me in a negative way, I generally have like met <laughs> in real life. So uh, uh, there's, there's I, I've got some work to do with trying to get that message out to a broader audience. And there's some other resources around like books and, and, uh, and stuff that you can read that help. But uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. Like trying to, trying to talk about toxic masculinity and about how white men have benefited from it well being a white man who is probably currently benefiting from it in so many ways it feels really hypocritical and wrong sometimes but like you got to start somewhere so that's where i'm starting and I mean, uh you know yeah good for you and i think um you know the the fact that you are uh, definitely at least one step above the the deniers and the it's funny the people who are telling you that that you're wrong or, or getting pissed at you for sharing that message those are uh, interestingly enough probably the people who need to hear it the most definitely yeah um, that's definitely. that's what I found historically through my interactions yeah. with those people so yeah. um you know good on for you for uh for taking that step I was gonna ask you specifically how you kind of think that feeds into this um almost this culture of uh, of substance abuse that um, is something that we've seen kind of come up in, in at least in, in North America, like uh, binge drinking is on the rise. We have the opioid crisis. We have an entire generation of people who just want to disconnect themselves from their lives as much as possible or from themselves. Yep. Um, I know for me specifically, um, when I started drinking and, and using drugs, it was, it was to become, um, a version of myself that I didn't believe I was. And it was to kind of shut my brain off and, and be less aware of myself and less self-conscious and feel a way that nothing else really enabled me to, to feel. So I think, um, you know, a, a big part of that is, is this, uh, this masculine culture and, and not being able to allow ourselves to feel emotion or sit with emotion or talk about our emotions or yeah. look into why we are the way we are. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to see what you thought about like if has that led us to to this road to this path? Has has that led you into uh if you look back at, at maybe the your history and, and the journey you've come on, uh is is that something that factored into your drinking, uh at least yeah. in the early days yeah. and maybe in the later days? Yeah, it definitely it definitely has a lot of that in it. I think that um men in general who who drink and you know the majority of men drink uh, i don't think that that's a bold statement um when men drink to excess it's 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 more of a feeling of inadequacy um uh like they're not in control of anything in their lives so they they sort of use alcohol or other substances to numb that feeling um also that was definitely true for me uh, I didn't feel like I measured up in any real way to the expectations uh, set before me for anything, like as far as being a good person or, or, uh, or uh, you know, good at my job or anything, you know, so, you know, you get drunk to try to forget that you're failing at something and uh, it just spirals out of control. Um, there's also another aspect that I just sort of realized recently through therapy and that it's that I was hanging out with people that I didn't really like. Uh, and I basically just drank a lot until I liked them. <laughs> you know, like I wouldn't spend time with those people if we weren't drunk. And uh, I don't spend time with them now that I don't drink. And it's crazy how that works. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And that if yeah, any of my uh, friends are listening, I'm not talking about you. No, he's talking about yeah. the people who are talking about some, this podcast. Some, some other people. <laughs> uh, I, I was lucky when I think back to it, like my, my drinking friends uh, and my friends in sobriety are, are very much the same. It's the same core group of guys I've been friends with since like high school, basically. Yeah. Um, so I've been able to, you know, luckily stick it out with them and, and they've stuck it out with me despite our, uh, our interest changes recently. But um, it's interesting what you said about um, 
the the failure thing definitely resonated with me because like I felt I felt like a failure my entire life like uh as a teenager as an adult I was a failure at at relationships I always felt like I was falling short of the version of myself that I wanted to be um and I think I I drank or used drugs or did whatever the fuck else to to distract myself from that divide so I could just shut my brain off and not fucking worry about it and not feel that way for one night or uh, as it turned out, many nights often in a row. So um, feel I feel that for sure. Um, and going back to the the toxic masculinity thing, I think an interesting thing you said, it's almost like we're the first generation, I think, to become, uh, it's like we're the first generation of robots that are becoming self-aware, right? Like yeah. the generation before us was definitely the, uh, the you know, work work nine to five, come home from the office, wife has cooked dinner, you sit on the couch, you eat the dinner, your wife prepared for you. These like very strong male, female archetypes that everyone had to be. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where this notion of, of toxic masculinity almost like originated. Um, unless you want to look like, I'm no sociologist, unless you want to look like all the fucking way back to our caveman days, mm -hmm. um, which there was probably some version of it there. But um it, it does feel like we are kind of the, the first generation to, to wake up and, and address that. So I, I'm not like a, I'm not a sociologist or a scientist or anything like that either, but um, yeah, I think generally outside of like seahorses and a few other species, generally males are like the, and I think spiders too, spiders, the females are bigger and do like the stuff typically associated with the males of most species, but humans are, evolved in a way that no other animals on the planet are we have uh, social structures and language and and a huge range of emotion and that in itself lends uh or leans into equality more than just like physical strength and loudness do you know what i mean so i think we are yeah. the first generation that's sort of starting to figure that out that equality needs to be truly equal and that men have benefited from like this uh, animal kingdom version of uh, male versus female for so long and it's just such a bullshit uh system it really is like there's no there's no basis for it biologically or anything anymore like yeah women have children but there's nothing saying that a man can't stay home with a with a child or anything like that right like we don't live that way anymore and the fact that men are so rooted in this sense of superiority that they have just in being a man um, is ridiculous and it needs to stop because you're never going to live up to that you're never going to live up to that uh even if you become insanely successful and wealthy and whatever, you're still going to feel like something isn't right because that system has brought you there. And you know that deep down inside, you know, you haven't earned that, that you didn't do anything more than a person of color or, uh, or somebody that's another identifies as another gender, anything like that. You didn't do anything more than that person other than just being a white guy. And uh, it it's, it, you, you have this, this guilt in you that causes you to try to escape from it and you end up drinking or using drugs or being an asshole or whatever. Like it manifests in many different ways. And for me and for a lot of guys, it manifests in addiction. So yeah, uh, I... I see it around me every day. I work in a trade. Uh, so I see it around me every day, which is wild being sober in a trade. Um, I think when I think of <laughs> trades, I'm like, this is the the last like bastion of toxic really masculinity. Yeah, like yeah. maybe that and, well, and professional sports, uh, possibly, but even they're making uh I think uh, honestly, stress. man, I think I don't think it's that different. Like I I know trades get a get a get looked on sort of differently than other jobs because they're very male and very macho and, and whatever. Um, but I feel like, you know, the corporate world is still very male dominated. Um, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of, a lot of industries that, that are still heavily male dominated in like the positions of power that really have no need to be that way. So it is. I think one, one benefit, at least in the corporate world, 
Um, I'm a little bit cynical about it because whenever I see like these large corporations with these like diversity and inclusion um, campaigns or, or invest, it almost feels like a, like a calculated PR stunt to me. Um, like they don't, I'm sure there are some that like, absolutely, like they walk the walk, they believe in, um, in giving uh, a diverse range of people a seat at the table so they can get that, that diverse range of experience and, and different opinions and different viewpoints on things. But uh, a lot of the times it, it feels like, okay, now, now we have to meet these, uh, these arbitrary quotas that because we don't want the scrutiny of, of the outside world or we don't want to get canceled on Twitter. Um, so we're going to, we're yeah, going to, but, I, but, but how did we get there though? Like, how did we get to the point where we needed, where, where those companies felt they needed to do that? It's because By it's canceling been people so skewed. No, <laughs> no. By canceling. No, 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 no. I canceled myself on Twitter. So we're good. Hashtag um, boycott. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, I, I think that, I think that uh, corporations and, and just, you know, businesses in general, not just big corporations, but we're in my trade, we're hiring a lot more women into a very, predominantly male trade uh and uh they're fantastic they do a, they do easily as good a job if not a better job than a lot of the men i work with uh and uh they still they have to work twice as hard as uh, as any man to even get recognized for for what they do and uh it it just all that stuff just lends itself again to this feeling that you haven't earned where you are uh if you're a, a man in a position of power and then you feel that guilt and then that guilt manifests in violence or addiction or whatever. And uh, that's why we are where we are. Like there's, there's something to be said for, um, I'm not a religious person, but I've read a bunch of books that talk about how like organized religion these days is not what it used to be. It's more of like a calculated business and a way for people to get rich. Yeah. It's but uh, it's a power structure like yeah. anything else but there's a lot of um there's a lot of people who don't believe and i, I would count myself as one of those people i'm not a religious person at all uh, you're gonna lose us the uh the aa crowd with that no, that's admission. fine that's fine that's fine but but the problem is the problem is that people have nothing to believe in right because people are moving away from religion you do you have nothing to believe in so you just have yourself. And that is not a great situation for most people because people, they, they're so unsure of everything that they do. They need that structure. They needed like this, like, like in AA, the, the higher power, right? The higher power. Yeah. So, so like, I get it. It's not really my jam, but I understand that, um, you need to realize that you can't do it yourself. And maybe that higher power can be a community. Maybe that higher power can be um, a purpose or, or through the, the outreach and work that you do. Uh, it doesn't have to be like reading the Bible or going to church or anything like that, but there's definitely something to be said for uh, the mass amount of people moving away from organized religion and the rise in uh, all kinds of social issues because you've lost that community, right? Now, this yeah. is like such a weird thing for me to go off on as somebody that doesn't go to church. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't like, I'm not going to go to church, but like the, the, there's a connection there for sure. So finding that community and, and, and people working together, uh, basically what I'm saying is we should, we should embrace communism. I think that's where I'm headed here. 100 i'm with you, know? you comrade yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. thanks buddy yeah jesus give give the means of production back to the people <laughs> that's what they say <laughs> it's i'm gonna put it on a t-shirt it's interesting yeah um it's interesting that you say that um i'm a big fan of uh johan hari who's this um he's a british journalist who has now written a couple of books one one called um, Chasing the Scream, which is all about um, addiction and the drug war and, and kind of the, the social causes of that. And then he's written another one called Lost Connections. Um, and the entire premise of that book is that, um, you know, the, the real cause of, of the proliferation of things like anxiety or depression or substance abuse or addiction um, has kind of been uh, 
the erosion of these communities, not church specifically, but, but people more yeah. often than ever before feel lonely. They feel isolated. Um, they feel totally disconnected from their sense of self. And, and that's what's fueling um, a lot of these mental health and, and substance abuse issues. So yeah, uh, I think, it's, think you. It's wild to think that your sense of self really has very little to do with yourself and more to do with the people around you and the community that you're a part of. Um, yeah, it, that's something that, that uh, I've been thinking a lot about lately and like the people that I interact with and, and uh, sort of the, the energy I want in my life has been really shifting the last little while. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's changed me as a person. Which I did this, uh, I did this, um, this practice with on the recommendation of my therapist, because until very, very recently, I had no fucking idea who I was. Like I could have not told you who Derek was, who Derek, like what Derek cared about, what, like who the real me was. I could have told you uh, length about this version of myself that I had constructed in my head and this version of myself that I play on the internet and the version of myself oh, yeah. that I play in real life with my friends. But when it came to like, this is who I am. This is what I value. This is what I give a shit about. Um, I, I was completely fucking lost. And yep. my therapist oh, was like, that, man, my therapist was like, here's what you're going to do. You write your closest friends. You pick like three or four of your closest friends. You ask your girlfriend, you ask the people who are closest to you in your life, be like, what am I to you? And it's not, it's not defining yourself by, by your relationships to them. Like, I'm never going to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm Scott's friend or I'm Kate's husband or Damn right. You're never going to say but, that. <laughs> I would, I would never say it cause it's untrue. Oh. <laughs> um, but what I got back were like a lot of these responses from, from people. And I was surprised cause my friends, like, uh, if, if you're listening to this podcast, I cannot recommend doing this enough. Like mm -hmm. if you're just like, lost and wondering who you are like reach out to the people who fucking matter to you and just ask them who who am i to you like why do you give a shit about me um and i got back a lot of like really thoughtful um well-written like lengthy answers from people like documenting all all the reasons they loved me and and what i meant to them mm -hmm. um and it really helped me to get an idea of like okay the way the way I view myself and the way these people view me are completely fucking different. And like the, the version of myself that I've constructed in my head is not at all um, how other people view me. And it, it just goes to show, like, I think that was kind of the first step on my journey to, <laughs> to self-awareness and like figuring out who I am and, and that it's safe. Um, also, if you're listening to this, if you're a dude, it's safe to not know who the fuck you are. Like, it's okay. This is a safe place for that. Like, we're all on this fucking journey together. Uh, I'm a 40-year-old man who until very recently, um, even I've been sober for five years. And this is something I hadn't figured out at all in the past five years. Yeah. Years, until very recently. And I know, Scott, this is this is your recent journey as well, right? Yeah, like, absolutely, man. I actually uh, just wrote something almost exactly like this uh, last week kind of about why like I'm not really on Twitter or Instagram anymore on my like main accounts because they don't really feel like me anymore. I started them both when uh, I was, you know, writing about food and then they turned into a stuff successful local food blog. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, pseudo successful. The, the, um, the, the disconnect I feel from that whole version of myself as to who I am now uh, I like, I don't even want to look at that old stuff anymore because I don't even know that guy. Like it's not me. And it was never me. It's, it was this, uh, the sarcastic asshole on Twitter or this alcoholic food blogger on Instagram and on Twitter too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and it just feels weird to have sort of shifted those accounts into being something else. And I still have like the same follower base and they don't give a fuck about any of the stuff that I'm talking about. Right you're now. Talking and, about it, now. and it feels weird to sort of walk away from, you know, a couple thousand um, uh, people to talk to. But at the end of the day, my mental health has benefited tremendously from a not being on Twitter at all. B uh, I haven't posted. What's the date today? Is it? 
it's been a month, uh, I think, since I posted on Instagram on my, it is my main o- account. October 22nd, the day we're recording this. So. Yeah, so it's been, I think it's over a month now since I've posted on my main Instagram account. And the only reason I did that was to basically chase validation, right? Like, oh man, your pictures are so great or you get to go to all these cool places. I mean, your pictures are great and you do get yeah. to go cool places. Well, but. Both those things can be true, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I, that validation wasn't enough. So what was I chasing if, if it was never enough? It was never going to be enough. So once I stopped uh, looking for it, I felt so much better. <laughs> it's wild. Like it's been years of, 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 of what, you know, like when, when I look back on all the things that I've done over the past decade, how many of those things did I do because I wanted people to see them, not because I wanted to do them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, so. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that one. Yeah, man. man. Like it, it's so wild. The, the transformation that, that both of us have sort of undergone. And especially it feels like this year has kind of been, uh, which is, which is maybe, you know, pandemic related that we've had to sort of really focus on, ourselves because like what the fuck else are we gonna do <laughs> well okay that that's a really interesting point because this has basically been uh like the fucking year from hell yeah uh, man. in general i think pandemic related stuff and then uh i was laid out on the floor for two months with a busted ass back and you've had shit going on in your life but yeah, man. Uh, yeah. you know for for the normies uh yeah you know pandemic hits you socially isolate you can't see anyone anymore you uh what i think alcohol sales like there it got to the point where a couple of governments had to put out issue or issue statements being like okay we're a little concerned yeah about we do yeah. not recommend that you drink to cope with a pandemic yeah pandemic's still going to be there when you sober up in the morning um and uh when you are a sober person you exactly that like you have fucking nothing except time uh and because we drank to shut off uh the way our minds turned against ourselves when we're when we're not doing that anymore uh and you're stuck sitting in your house by yourself or even with your family for fucking months uh your mind is going to do that so you better learn a a healthy way to direct it at yourself um which i kind of think is is the journey we have both both gone on yeah yeah it's been uh i know it's been a hard year for everyone um but yeah doing this sober man i can't i i honestly think sometimes like what if i never stopped drinking and i was still drinking now when this pandemic hit i'd be i'd be dead i swear i would be dead in a ditch somewhere man Man, because like very dark but probably yeah no no for real though because like i uh the the using alcohol for me to deal with like the bad shit that was happening to me or the perceived bad shit that was happening to me. It was all just me. Um, This is like the worst shit. This is like a global pandemic where like millions of people have died. And, and uh, I don't know if I could have handled this if I was still in the place that I was in at the beginning of 2016. I think that, uh, I just would have just spiraled out of control and, uh, yeah, it wouldn't have been good. So I'm very thankful for my sobriety for many, many reasons, but also I'm thankful for not being dead from, uh, alcoholism slash coronavirus. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a killer combo. Um, (laughs) it's funny. I've kind of seesawed back and forth between the two because like, um, I think this year more than any other, I've had those like holy fuck, could I use a drink moments or like, holy oh, fuck, too, do man. I wish I was still drinking? Um, there's been a couple, there's been a few days where I've been like, you know, yeah, maybe today's the day. <laughs> and, you know, you get through it and, uh, you know, I've got a lot of good people to uh, reach out to and talk about it and uh, got a good therapist that'll uh, take some time to listen as long as it's scheduled in advance, which isn't always <laughs> and, ideal. And paid for. Yeah, and paid um, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, but, and uh, we do have, uh, like, the the broader uh, sobriety community, I think, which I've found to be um, yeah. 
super fucking helpful. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. There's, there's some fantastic uh, people in the sober community and uh, it's something that I'm sort of just starting to explore. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. There's, there's a lot of positivity out there, but there's also a lot of um, just like real shit. It's not all sunshine and rainbows and, happy times when you're sober like it can get pretty dark and and people relapse and you know shit happens so it's it's yeah. good it's good that there's a community out there to to sort of lean on and that they can lean on you as well you know yeah and it does feel like um at least in in our circles like we have kind of cultivated those networks where it's it's safe to be vulnerable and open up like and and say hey i'm really fucking struggling today yeah um you know, we, we talked about this, uh, a little bit in the first version of this episode that we recorded <laughs> where uh, you screamed at me for an hour, where I just screamed into my microphone <laughs> and the audio was so fucking bad. It was unusable, but we talked about, um, the Dax Shepard thing where Dax yeah. was, uh, you know, he's an icon to a lot of people in the sober community. This is a guy who is, uh, proudly fucking sober and has been proudly sober for 16 fucking years of his life. And yeah. Uh, recently went through his own relapse and like owned his shit and talked about it at length. But like, um, I think that more than anything has shown me that like, it's, it's, I never want to be complacent in my sobriety. I, ne I never, and I found myself like, I've been guilty of that. Um, once I hit, you know, three, four or five years, I'm like, you know, the, the worst is behind yeah. me. I went through I'm that white set. knuckle phase. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sober for life. And yeah. uh, I, I frequently, if people ask me, um, are you never going to drink again? My answer is always like, yeah, like I'm, I'm never going to drink again. I made that decision. Um, but I think, uh, seeing the Dax thing and seeing, um, in the sobriety community, how many people have been sharing their stories of relapse and there's been a few. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing there's been like a lot of fucking pulls on me this year where I was like, you know, um, it really fucking scared me like four and a half years in. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I could just, I could pop on over to the liquor store and uh, grab a handle of vodka and no one would ever fucking know about it. Like drink to myself in my place and just like turn off the shitty year for one fucking moment. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's hard. It's, it's really fucking scary. And uh, thank, thankfully we do have, have people to, to talk about it and share their stories as well. So um, I think that's the important thing is that, uh, you, dear listener, never feel alone, uh, whatever you need. I mean, Scott and I are in this with you. There's a sobriety community. If you have a sponsor, uh, they're in it with you, but there's a, there is a global network of, of, um, former addicts or, or recovered addicts or people who are still struggling with addiction, who, who understand you and who feel what you're going through and, uh, and you can lean on us at any time, but you're not alone. No. Yeah. And that's, that's huge because, uh, some people don't have a network around them that is going to support their decision to get clean or sober or both. Uh, and that sucks that, you know, I, I, I get it. And, um, having that place to go, whether it's uh, Instagram or, or Twitter or it's anywhere like, uh, or a local um, organization is it's critical. You know, you can't do it alone. You can sure try. Like uh, I tried for a long time to do it alone. And uh, I didn't, uh, I think I said on the original version of this, podcast where you screamed at me for an hour that uh sorry about that you just make me so sorry. angry sometimes Scott. i know i know you're i loving. do it because i love you <laughs> they're loving screams <laughs> uh i i think i said something like um you know i was i was sober for four years before i actually started my recovery journey um yeah. and that's been like a pretty big realization too and and again it's one of those things where i look back and i don't know how i lasted four years <laughs> with basically doing nothing I mean, <laughs> other you, than not you, drinking. You, you know? did something though. That's like, that's the big first step. And I think yeah. for a lot of people that ends up being the realization the, uh, is the, is the big first step, right? Yeah. Like that's the, the gateway drug into, because after you take away, um, it's are like, we allowed to, are we allowed to use that term still? Why? The gateway drug. Can we say that about sobriety? 
if if it's the gateway drug to uh, only to mental health and self discovery, okay, okay, that's it. Fair okay. enough. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like uh, life. Life is the ultimate drug. Or so I don't fucking know. Uh, put it on a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> but uh, that ends up being the. It is the the entry point for a lot of people because you have this veil of drugs or alcohol or eating disorder or substance or shopping addiction or gambling addiction or whatever the fuck it is that distracts you from you. Mm-hmm. Um, you you take that veil away and you lift it from your face and um for a lot of people you know just the act of of not using or not drinking or not doing the thing that was ruining their life is enough and like good on them you know you made you made that very first positive step and you remove that toxic thing from your life and if that's good enough for you uh, i mean more power to you but um i know for a lot of other people like after that's gone you're like okay what's left yeah me better fucking figure that out better know who me is and mm-hmm. uh and what i'm doing and what my purpose is on the world and and uh how i can use that to help others so um or or why i became the fucking way i was in the first place which is like this endless rabbit hole of like how many generations do you want to go back because you yeah. can go a long fucking way um, yeah i don't like i don't know a ton about my family history past sort of my grandparents, but, you know, I have a history of alcoholism on my dad's side, his twin brother and his father. uh, And I don't know about anything farther back than that. So there is definitely some, you know, genetic predisposition to addiction, but that doesn't mean that that's the only factor or even the main factor. Um, A lot of it is circumstance and, and, uh, yeah, some of it's just shitty luck, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So it can it can be anything, right? Like it's not if you even if you grow up in a in a what quote unquote perfect family, you can end up uh, addicted to anything, right? Yeah, and it, just it's, feeling it's, the way you feel, and um, yeah. you know, there's there's been this really interesting school of thought that's come out uh, not recently, I want to say, because the study that that kind of confirmed it was done in. Uh, uh, I want to say the seventies or maybe early eighties, but he, have you heard of a uh, rat rat park, which was, um, it was a study done at UBC here, I believe it, it was done by a sociologist who got a, uh, a bunch of rats and yeah. put them in, uh, like a rat habitat. I don't know what the fuck they're called. Rat city, rat, rat king. Um, but it's, um, and was, Ratopolis? Feeding, was basically feeding them, uh, opioid laced water. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to see if the rats would just like develop an addiction based on the substance alone. Uh, and what, what he ended up finding was that like, again, there were social causes. If you had rats that like had a strong rat community and, uh, and you know, like rat fam- I don't fucking know how they measure, you know, rat community or, or rat family engagement, but like, were there str- lots of parks and street trees? Yeah, there are tons. Yeah, they'll be fine then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Churches. Uh, <laughs> Churches. Wow. Um, but We're they found that... all the 12-steppers, man. They're gone. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, you know, I, I do want to say that, like, if 12-step was your thing and A, or is your thing and A yeah. worked for you... We support it. We're, that, we're down. 100%. Like, that fucking rules. Anything that helps people get sober will never be a bad thing in my book. But uh, yeah. Scott and I were discussing before this started rolling, and it just was not for uh, either of yeah. us. Tell me more about the rats. I really oh, so so they ultimately they found that uh, that the substance itself, so opioids alone, like yeah, sure they're addictive. Mm-hmm. People can get addicted to them, but it isn't why they become addicted to them. People who become addicted, well, at least rats become who become addicted to opioids, um, do so because of um, just like the the there's social causes to it and there's uh there's family causes to it and there's these these other reasons that drive them to like um to it sounds dumb to say about rats but like rats become addicted because they they there is a void in their lives that they yeah. need to fill by becoming addicted and like sedating themselves from life lonely rats yeah you know yeah. hug hug a rat today hug if you see one if you see one in the street eh, might have covid don't hug hug it from a distance hug a rat. just just encourage it just just, <laughs> just wave yell. to it and be just like yell. hey buddy <laughs> just acknowledge it yeah. sometimes that's enough i really um, like your tail i do it's it's long and 
hairless, whip, whip like weird. Yeah. Rats are creepy animals, but um, yeah, it was an interesting study. I can't even fucking remember why I started talking about that, but like, uh, <laughs> we all like, we all enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh, that's my, uh, that's my story about uh, rat, rat park. Um, yeah. But uh, the substances themselves are, uh, are usually not the, the cause of the addiction yep. was I yep. think what, what yep. I wanted to get across. The substances are definitely addictive, but you need sort of a, some sort of trigger to, um, to get you fully on that train of addiction. You know, um, they yeah. have to, they have to be solving a problem that you think that you have. Um, whether that's trying to escape from your pain or trauma or uh, loneliness or, or whatever it is. It's, it can be a number of things, but yeah. You said something that was really interesting to me uh, before that whole preamble. And you were talking about um, how you had, uh, you know, the, the Instagram community and, and how you found support and kind of how you acknowledged how like not everyone might have that. And um, yep. I was at a, uh, a talk recently by uh Brian Cuban. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know him. He is a he's Mark Cuban's brother. I'm actually gonna try and get him no, on this podcast. He is Mark Cuban's brother. Is he seriously for real? He's Mark he's <laughs> Mark Cuban's just brother. Being yeah. a dickhead. On, the, okay. on the real. No, Carry that's on. a real thing. Wow. Um, but he's a he's a former lawyer who has like gone on to this career of basically being uh, a mental health and uh, addiction advocate because he he totally opens up about like his cocaine use and his drinking problem and he had body dysmorphia and he had like bulimia for a while um, and all this shit that he's been through and he totally owns this story but he in this talk he was talking about how um, how he had to acknowledge how privileged he was because he had resources to him both in addiction and in uh, sobriety that a lot of people didn't have. Like yeah. he was well connected. So it, when he wanted, um, when he wanted to use or get drugs, it, he was very privileged in that regard. And then when he wanted to sober up, he had like, you know, Mark Cuban's not yeah. poor. Brian Cuban's yeah. not poor. So he yeah. could, he could access the best. So I think it's, it's important. And maybe that ties back into the central theme of this episode, which is that, um, as, as white males, we, we are very privileged and we do have access to resources, um, and communities and, uh, podcasting equipment and even the, the ability to listen to podcasts or access these resources or buy a fucking self-help book when we feel yeah. like it, that a lot of people might not have. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's true, man. Um, like e- even I'm just, I'm sitting in my garage here, which is like where I make, um, YouTube videos and, and all kinds of stuff. And I just like, I look around in this room and like all the random equipment that I have to either make videos or record podcasts or do voiceovers or whatever. It is insane that I just have this stuff for a hobby. And I think about that a lot. I really do. And I feel like I, I almost I almost feel guilty about it at this point because uh, it's yeah you, it's, you should you should give some should, of it to me I should give some of it to Derek uh, it, it's um, <laughs> it. it's yeah donated to the cause yeah it's 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 like yeah. I know that I've benefited in a way disproportionate to the effort that I've put into my life and that's something that uh, I want to try to I don't know if the words atone for you know, I didn't, it's not something you purposely set out to do, yeah. but, but it's definitely something that happens. Um, so yeah, I want other men to know that it's okay to have that guilt about, uh, where you've gotten to. And the fact that being a white man has benefited you tremendously. And it's okay to feel guilty about that because it sucks. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and, but the, the thing is that you, you, once you acknowledge it, what are you going to do about it? Right. And that's sort of where I'm at right now. And I'm still kind of trying to figure that out, but uh, it's something that I'm very uh, mindful of. And I try to think about it daily, whether it's in my regular job or the stuff that I do for hobbies or just anything that uh, I have been very lucky, uh, especially as someone who, you know, almost drank themselves into the grave in my thirties, um, that I've 
just seemingly skated right through that with zero consequences. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if I was um, a minority or uh, if I was anything other than a white man, the consequences would be outrageous, but it's okay for us to do it because we're fucking white guys. Like that's so yeah, dude, like you, insane. you know, my situation. Oh, yeah. And again, I'll, I'll retell yeah, the yeah. story on this podcast at a later date, but like, yeah, what I went through and I had a couple like big consequences, but again, because I was a white guy, uh, I got off like super, like insanely fucking easy for what had happened. And, yeah. um, again, like I, I definitely have to acknowledge that, uh, if, if I was a person of color, um, I do not think I would be here recording this podcast today. Like I, I would be in a prison cell somewhere, yeah. um, most likely. So, yeah. um, you know, big ups to that. That is something that we will continue to address on this podcast for Briety, while our, where we'll uh, dissect monster, modern masculinity. Uh, we will talk about rats and rat parks. Uh, we will continue to share stories of our own addiction. And we'll hopefully have hopefully every episode we talk about rats because that hopefully. was my favorite part. Um, you know what? Now I'm going to have a special fucking section. I'm going to yeah. try to learn something new. We're going to call it Rat Facts. And that's going to be a, uh, a segment on every episode. I'm in a variety and we are going to have a, a bunch of, uh, you know, mental health advocates, experts, uh, dudes and dudettes who want to share their own sobriety journeys. Uh, so if you're listening to this right now, please hit us up on, um, uh, um, the, the social needs, the social media, uh, Scott, is there anywhere people can reach you to do that? Yeah, you can reach me still, uh, at, uh, on Instagram at WFLBC. Uh, I do check my messages on there. Because uh, I still get quite a few people asking me where the hell I am, and uh, We're worried about you. Uh, well, you know, thanks. I appreciate that. Th honestly, though, like anybody who's listening to this that's uh, checked up on me, I really do appreciate it because you know that feels nice that people notice when you're gone. Yeah. Um, and there's also a few people on there that I've sort of had an open dialogue with about their own uh, struggles and and mental health and and stuff. And I want to make sure that I'm still there to continue those conversations with them. So. Um, yeah, you can, you can find me there. Um, you can, uh, I have a website, digitalemulsions.com, and I've started writing like a weekly post about either sobriety or addiction or toxic masculinity, or, you know, just generally the subjects we're going to talk about on this podcast. And I'm three weeks in and, uh, it's been really, really nice to write, um, uh, and share it instead of just because I do some journaling and I don't really ever share that, but actually writing with the intention of, of people seeing it has been nice. Um, I'm trying not to fall into that trap of doing it for validation. Uh, and that's something that I'm going to be struggling with, I feel a little bit, but you know, it is what yeah. it is. Yeah. You're mindful of it. I think that's, yeah. uh, that's half the battle. Um, I do want to ask about your experience with journaling. It's it's one of those things that I keep trying to get into. Like I, yeah. I love writing, but um, I just cannot, um, I can't really bring myself to to build a practice of it. And and I'd love to know uh, how, how you're doing that and uh, what kind of benefit you see uh, out of Honestly, coming out man, of it. It's been not great for me either. I think I struggle with kind of the same things that you do. Um, I try to be consistent with it. I generally just do it on my phone, which maybe if I had a notebook, it would be better. Um, it probably wouldn't be better, but uh, I would just get writer's cramp. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Like I've found that I lie in my journal. That, have, you, have you found that? That is interesting. Yeah. So I'll write something. I'll literally write something and then I'll read it and be like, that's not what fucking that's, happened. That's and not true. I'll, I'll be like, why am I lying to myself <laughs> in my journal? Like it's, 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 it's a, it's a thing, you know, that's fucking, so, I mean, in a way, like we, we all do that to ourselves. You have your own narrative, thousand, right? A thousand yeah, yeah. times every day. Right. And exactly. we, we never exactly. even notice. So yeah. I, I, well, now that you put it that way, I'm like, that's fucking wild. Like, because yeah. when you're just thinking something in your brain, it's gone in a second and you don't really get the yeah. chance to like look back on it and be but like, when you write it down, like, you're was like, that actually true? What the fuck was I talking about here? That is not what happened at all. all right. Or that's not, yeah, it's wild. You talk, man. you talk me into it. 
I'm, yeah. I'm going to start journaling just so Do I it. can call myself out on my Do own it. bullshit. Yeah, lie to yourself and then yell. And then, yeah, <laughs> yell into my uh, microphone at myself. That's right. Uh, cool, man. Well, yeah. Scott, I'm uh, super fucking excited to uh, a be on this sobriety journey with you and b uh, too, have man. this uh, have this podcast starting back up uh, with our with our new angle and being able to share uh, the again underrepresented perspective of uh, two white men. So two suburban middle <laughs> two suburban middle aged white men. Yeah. Uh, but thanks to all our listeners for oh fuck did I say where I was on the internet? No shit. I'm on uh, Instagram at van underscore sober. That's my uh, my main uh, sobriety account. And again, um, Scott talked about it before, but one of the most rewarding things for me in sobriety is being able to connect with other sober people uh, or people who are considering sobriety or just thinking about sobriety or, you know, um, wants... Um, want uh just to like share their experience or, or talk about what's worked for them so uh if you are one of those people please absolutely pop on into my dms and uh i look forward to speaking with you same pop into my dms uh all right hey everyone uh fuck we need a catchphrase for this hey eh? to the the men and women and men and women who love them who have joined us for this inaugural episode of Brobriety. uh thanks so much for joining us and we will see you at the next one Thanks, everybody.